Hi there, everybody. Hi, guys. We're back online. Yes, it's Monday afternoon, 3 o'clock. And it's not 100 degrees. It's not 100 degrees. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Good thing. Hey, Gary Brooks, I know you're online. Guess what happened in our house yesterday at 5.30? Oh, yeah, the, electric, the electricity went out. Yep, sure did. Sure did. We thought of you we and did. Jan, and then we... Uh, they came and said it's going to be restored at 8, at 8 o'clock. So we just said, hey, we'll go to Gloria's. It's air conditioned there. We'll get a margarita. Came on and said, nope, going to be 11.30. Oh, then they came a few minutes later and said 10.30. We go, uh, so we, we stayed at Gloria's as long as we could. And we were then, practically <laughs> closing the place. And then we came back here and we're just kind of biding our time waiting to see what we would do but it came on at 9 15. so that was good it was out about four hours which is crazy but fortunately it wasn't as hot a day so anyway yep then we had to stay up long enough so that the upstairs could cool down <laughs> enough to go to bed that's right so gary we're gonna get some some ah, scoop we're gonna figure something yeah we're gonna get, get this, some scoop i think this generator's in our future i don't know could be could be so anyway everybody we're glad you are here. Yes, we really are. Really. Thanks for be, being here with us today. So, let's see. That was about the most exciting thing. You, you, you see what Gary Gary put. He said you should have come over. Uh, well, if we come over, so we don't have... Well, if we got Dan and Gary, we don't have to get a generator anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they could just make a room ready for us. <laughs> you know, you just don't know. Is it really going to come back on when they say? Or is it going to... It actually ended up coming out... Yeah. You know, I said to Scott, well, actually, it came out earlier than at like almost 9.30. He said, no, but they told us it would be 8. And I said, yeah, but then they said 11.30. See, that was all a trick. Yeah, then it's a mind up, game. They mind, mind game. Then it ends up like, wow, they were so fast tonight. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, we four are, hours is not fast. We're not. And you know what happened yesterday in Bible study? I happened to mention that it was National Cinema Day. Because the first thing I said to Scott was, oh, gosh, let's, let's go, go to the movies. Movie. Well, now you could look online almost every movie theater. You pick your ticket, you know, your seat from home. And Scott tried. There was literally nothing. <laughs> Everybody was going playing, to the movies for $4 tickets. Unless you were sitting like in the front row on the floor with your head turned completely back up to the ceiling. So people are, they took advantage they of did. that cinema that, day. That was, yeah, that, they of all were, days. That was the day. That was the day. So anyway, well, everybody. You know, we're going to do, going to return to the Gospel of Mark. We're getting close to the beginning of the story of the Passover and everything. So yes, there's going to be, be a lot to talk about. And I hope that you can let Patty know, type in little questions or things, Please anything, do. anything that we can help with. We want to help with as we go through this. So should I open us up with prayer? Please do. Okay. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. We are grateful for this time together. We're grateful for the gift of the Gospel of Mark. This is a very brief proclamation of the good news about Jesus Christ um, and what he has done for us. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to, to see a little deeper, hear a little better, become a little better readers of Scripture, as we make our way through the closing chapters of this gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know what I, I used to always say? What difference did it make if it was 100 
you know, once you're above 90, it's so hot. See, I found out today that's really not true. It's 92 out, and there is definitely a difference between 110 and 92. You 18 could, degrees out, so what do you just really think about feel it? it? The difference between 50 degrees out and 32 degrees out. I know. I just kind of thought, though, when it was hot, it's hot. But there is different There's degrees a difference. of hot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, everybody, here we are. Let's see. We are picking up at... Mark 13, verse 32. So let me just set this up a little bit. Let me use a few slides from, move this thing over a bit, from last week. Okay, Boop. here we go. Oh, first of all, no class next Monday. Next Monday is what, Patty? Labor Day. Labor Day, so we're not going to meet next next Monday. So no class next week. It is Labor Day. We... You know, so very good. Let's see. Here is the big picture of the model of look of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Um, the camera is essentially on Mount on the Mount of Olives, looking down on the city, and Jesus is staying in Bethany, which is a suburb, <laughs> little village, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So to come into Jerusalem, Jesus would come from this general direction um, up the Mount of Olives. It's not a mountain. It's, it's just like a ridge, a low ridge, and then down to get into the city. And that happened on Sunday. Then we did Monday where the cursing of the fig tree and the turning over the tables at the temple. And then we spent, I don't know how long was it, two weeks, three weeks on Tuesday, with so many confrontations, this whole thing is just getting wound so, so tight. And then last week, we um, did most of chapter 13, which is about um, the first portion, up to 31, which is where we ended, is about the coming fall of Jerusalem. And here was we, I brought this picture of the stones that were levered off by the Romans in 70 AD. Because Jesus says very straightforwardly in verse 30 of chapter 13, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So unless you tie yourself into knots, trying to say it doesn't mean what it clearly means or generation means something other than what it means the beginning of mark all the way to, to to 31 beginning with the disciples admiration of all the structures that's about the destruction of jerusalem that is coming and it's just in, in a way a good biblical connection is to go back to jeremiah who also announced god's judgment on the temple and a few decades later the Temple of Solomon was destroyed by the Babylonians, okay? So, um, all right, now, back to me. <laughs> all right, so, let's see if I'm really set up to be able to read this. Okay, so, let's, let's just read again. Let me start at verse 31. Oh, Scott, let me just remind you, go back 
to the beginning of chapter 13 in your Bibles, there, remember Jesus and disciples are all leaving and he, and, and he tells them that they're going to be pulled down one step on another. And then in verse 4, they ask him, tell us, when will these things happen? And then in verse 30, he says to them, truly I'll tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Then we come to verse 32. The, the, the point here is going to be clear, but you're going to ask yourself, well, what are we talking about here? So I'm going to try to be helpful by how I read this. So 32. First of all, it begins with what in the English translation? But. But. So now there's, there's a shift. But. About that day or hour, no one knows. About that day or hour, no one knows. What is the day Jesus is talking about? Is he just referring back to what he just said is going to happen before this generation passes away? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Because in verse 32 he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. And Jesus just explained. So, no, probably not. Day is probably a reference to the day of the Lord, the big day, the day when the man of, when the God's kingdom arrived in all its fullness and all of the world could see it and embrace it. Okay? That day, it's, it, it's a forward-looking day, forward to actually Jesus' second coming because it's at Jesus' second coming that um, the kingdom of God, which arrives with him, will be manifest, made for all the world to see. To go to a slide, which I think I have, um, hang on, this is one, let me go through these, oh gosh, I should have, I didn't realize I would want it. Okay, there we go. See, so, you have the coming of Christ, you have the last what? The last days. Mm -hmm. And then you have the second coming of Christ. So one way to talk about this is to say the day of the Lord has come already and not yet. The, right? Yes. So he's now saying in verse 32, Let me go back. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you would think I would. Whoa. Okay, we we'll get it back to the right place. Ooh, not quite that Ooh. one. Ooh. Hi there. <laughs> Hi. Here we go. Okay. But about that day. So now he's looking forward to the second coming. I'm definitely with those who think that's what's happening here. The day is a reference to like Daniel 2, verse 11. There's just a lot of references in the Old Testament to the day. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, S-O-N, but only the Father. Okay. So, and this is not the only place Jesus talks about this. It happens other places. 
when will Jesus return? Because the second coming, the return of Christ is an, is one of those essential pieces of Christian doctrine around which there have never been any heresies. It's too plainly written in the New Testament. So what are we to make of that? Are we to, to try to guess that day? Well, no one knows it. Not even Jesus knows. Now that may throw you for a bit of a loop if you say, well, the Father knows, but Jesus says he doesn't know. And for me, I don't know, seems to me that's part of the whole package of Jesus emptying himself. The coin um, in the kenosis in Philippians 2 that Paul writes about, there's Jesus, did Jesus have to, did Jesus as a five-year-old have to learn to read? Or was he born knowing how to read? I don't think he was born knowing how to read. He had to be taught by someone to read. That's he is God, but he's also human. So, so in any case, he says, I don't even know, the Father knows. So, here it is, guys. Be on guard. <laughs> Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Like in, buddy, don't kid yourself. You don't know when that time's going to be. I don't care about all your countdown clocks on the internet. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge. That's us. Each with their assigned task and tells the one at the door to what? To keep watch. Because they don't know when the man, the master of the house, is going to return. So they keep an eye peeled. They're always ready. There's a lot of parables about this. The the virgins with uh, with the uh, oil lamps. Five are ready and five aren't, right? So Jesus then goes on, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. That's a line worth hanging on to for what's coming. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. So there's two words of caution here. One, don't fool yourself into thinking that you can figure out when Jesus is coming back. You know, the irony is Christians have tried to do that for the last 2,000 years. There's a, You could write, there is a whole book. I should say probably books, tracing the history of movements in Christianity that were sure Jesus was going to come back to the point of actually nailing down the day. Oh yes, it's going to be on this particular day. That's foolishness. That's folly. <laughs> so just don't. You know, I, I, I often think, you know, it's kind of like, wow, the more, the more you think that you must live in the worst times ever, and so Jesus must be about to come, just look at all the things happening around you, it's probably the least likely time. But we just don't know. There are no, there are no signs about this. There's nothing. Right? 
You do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Paragraph above. You do not know when that time will come. Instead, be on guard, be alert, watch, be ready. Don't be sleeping. So what does that say to me in a practical sense every day? That I should live every day in the possibility that Jesus is going to return that day. Now, does that mean I'm, oh, I'm not going to make any plans or anything. I'm just going to lay in a hammock and just kind of wait. Christians seem to have, sometimes have that idea in Paul's letters that they were just going to lay around in hammocks and because, oh yeah, I don't have to do anything. He's about to come back. And of course, they were proven wrong. Because here we are 2,000 years later and Jesus hasn't come back. But live your life in such a way that Jesus could tap on your shoulder at any day, at any moment, and you won't be embarrassed by it. Scott? Yes. Susan is asking, wouldn't Jesus know the time when yeah. God knows the time? That's the question, isn't it, yes. around this? How could, yes. how could Jesus not know something that, well, he doesn't say when God knows, right? He says the, he Father. Says the, the Father knows, and Jesus does not know. The Father knows, but the Son does not. It's really important to keep in mind that Jesus, in Philippians 2, well, let me start over. In Philippians 2, Paul writes that Jesus emptied himself and took on human form. What does that emptying mean? Well, I think for most people that emptying means that in order to exist as a human, Jesus does not walk around with the full mind of God bouncing around in his brain. How could one do that? So, I mean, was he born knowing about, was Jesus born knowing about germs? Quantum particles? Did he have to learn to read? Did people have to teach him how to do arithmetic? Did he have to uh, learn how to be a good tradesman, carpenter, whatever? Yeah, he did have to learn all of that stuff. He, because he was God, fully God and fully human. So I, I think the key is that kenosis word. And so, yeah. So just take, just take Jesus said exactly what he says. That the Father knows, but Jesus can't tell him. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's just, just part of what he, what isn't bouncing around in him right now. Doesn't mean it won't be in him later, but right now he's just walking around the earth like you and me, right? Sandals on. Well, yeah, I could say I've said I wear sandals once in a while with sandals on, riding the boat, all that stuff, sure. So I anyway, Susan, I think that that's it. But it's a really perceptive question. Um because you would kind of think Jesus knows everything that the Father knows. Well, evidently not. And I think that makes eminent sense myself. Okay. I, so, you know, Patty? When, that, when you were just reading that, what I was thinking about is Jesus talking about that, you know, a prophet would never be uh, recognized in his own town or whatever. Yes. So, so you kind of think that if Jesus, when he was a child, teenager, all that, if he had all the knowledge, all the 
people would have been talking about him from the time he was a little kid, that he was some kind of miracle, you know, that this little child could do all these amazing things. But it seems like Jesus doesn't do those things. As a matter of fact, like he even tells his mother, I'm not ready yet right. um, to even show that I am anything other than Jesus. And when Jesus was public in his ministry in Nazareth, what do all of his neighbors say? That, ah, come on. This is this, this is Mary's kid. Right. Come on. Right. We changed his diapers. Come on. And so all those years, he yeah. must have appeared as a very regular little boy little boy and then yeah. been growing up but with a profound understanding of God's purposes yes, yes. right which yeah. is revealed which people can see when he ends up debating the rabbis in the temple in Jerusalem in Luke chapter two I think the home alone story the home alone story <laughs> <laughs> okay anybody got anything else because there's a shift now with chapter 14 I did think I finished chapter 13, didn't I, dear? Yeah. You did. Yeah. Yes, you just did. Okay. So, that chapter 13 at the end, that finished Tuesday. Because remember, they left the temple at the end of the confrontation laden Tuesday and made their way to the Mount of Olives. And then you get the long discourse from Jesus. It's apocalyptic discourse, it's called sometimes about first the depending the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the horror of all of that and then even this about well the day of Jesus's return so now we are going to go to Wednesday Wednesday of Holy Week this is as Mark tells the story so now the Passover and the festival unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. That sentence does not surprise us, does it? They've said it before. It's been building, 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 and they're going to carry it out. They're going to get it done. But then... As they've said before, but not during the festival, they say, or the people may riot. So they're very nervous about the people. So, so in a way, this is going to run out of their hands too. But they put this all in motion. Verse 3. While he, Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table, in the home of Simon the leper, okay, obviously a leper who must have gotten well. I don't know. I don't think there's a miracle story around Simon the leper. We just meet him this way. In fact, we, we don't even know that he's in the home. It could be the home of Simon who isn't here anymore because he's the leper and his family doesn't live here. But anyway, it identifies it, I guess. <clears throat> a woman came with an alabaster jar a very expensive perfume made of pure nard so most of the time this is this is not a cream it's more like an oil kind of an ointmenty oil 
and typically it would be in very small, like very small little, hmm, I guess today would call them very small little cosmetic jars. Small, flat. But this, on the other hand, is something else. She's got a lot of it. She has a jar of it. She broke the jar and poured the perfume, this very expensive perfume, oily, on Jesus' head. Or do we know who the woman is? Mark says nothing about her identity. She came in with this alabaster jar. I kind of picture a really nice... Um, is it alabaster is kind of marble like I think she came with an alabaster jar filled with this stuff and then she broke the neck of it and just poured it on Jesus's head um, in John's gospel it said that this what she poured on Jesus's head was worth a year's wages for the average laborer the average worker a year's wages. Today in America, that would be tens of thousands of dollars for the average income of the average person in America. Yeah. Well, in verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. In Matthew, the, those present becomes the disciples. In John's gospel, the protest is mounted by Judas Iscariot. All Mark says is some of those present are angry. They're indignant by this seeming waste of money. All the poor people it could have fed they, right? I, I sort of get that. Sort of. I think I, I do. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he quotes, this is what most people don't know, is that he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, the poor you will always have with you. So what I want to do is have us all find that passage in Deuteronomy because it seems like a rather callous thing for Jesus to say. Ah, the poor little, oh yeah, they're always going to have them with you. Almost an uncaring thing to say as if they don't need to worry about the poor. So go to Deuteronomy, if you would. Go to Deuteronomy, can I read my own handwriting? 15, verse 7. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. Deuteronomy 15, 7. I'm going to give you a moment to catch up to there. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. Maybe I'll take a drink of water. Hmm. All right. 15, Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. So this is this is this Deuter Deuteronomic 
um, statement of the law. This is the law of Moses. This, this is the law that governed their lives. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land Yahweh your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. Well, the seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near. Because this is, this is all part of the Jubilee, when debts were forgiven on the seven years and, and, and land returned. And God is saying, look, don't let the Jubilee pull you into apathy about the poor. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Don't let the Jubilee turn you into that. They may then appeal to Yahweh against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. That's the context for what Jesus says. And as we've said many times, hmm, When Jesus refers to something like that, his his the people around him they they, they know these these Old Testament writings in a way you and I certainly don't. So when he says the poor you will always have with you, they would make that connection, and he's just saying understand what's happening. You will always have the poor with you, and you can help them. I'm sorry, let me slow down. Mark fourteen verse seven. I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, Susan, uh, I guess it's probably from your study Bible, you know, that Spike Nard. I mean, that that's one of the guesses, anyway. One of the one of the suggestions for what the oil actually is inside the jar. But there's Nard is really a kind of a general term. <clears throat> okay, so Mark 14, verse 7. Jesus says, The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Boom! There it is. What, what, what has everybody been witnessing? Jesus being anointed for burial. How many of them think that burial lies ahead for Jesus? Lies ahead for God's Messiah? <laughs> I don't think any of them. God's Messiah is supposed to come in power and might and wonder and glory. And here is Jesus talking about his own burial, which must be 
very soon. Because it's Wednesday evening and she's pouring this expensive nard on his head. So it is, a, it is an anointing for burial. Now, are there overtones of the fact that he's also Messiah and king? Well, yes, because kings were anointed with oil. But he explicitly says, this is for my burial. For my burial. Then he goes on in verse 9, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So she's, I mean, we don't know anything about her. I mean, she has to be wealthy or she wouldn't have a jar of this ointment um, in her hands. She couldn't afford it. So she's wealthy. Um, other than that, you could just make whatever inferences you can from her being a wealthy woman who brings this. It's clearly a mark of devotion to Jesus that honors Jesus really honors the woman too but the key to this passage is to realize this is an anointing for burial that happens in Bethany on Wednesday evening Scott yes I have a question yeah I know there's another story about um, a woman anointing um, Jesus's feet and then wiping them with her hair with the perfume from an alabaster jar yes is is this a, a totally different story or do you think the gospel writers just kind of have them sort of meshed into to you know what I mean two different things I think the other story I know which one you mean, and I'm not sure, Patty. Okay, I'm just wondering. I shouldn't gloss over that. They, I, I'm they, I'm really not sure, because I'm trying to remember where exactly where in the sequence that that happens, um, and I don't think it's on the eve of the Passover, and if it's not on the eve of the Passover, it is a different story, a different story. which is what my bet is. I just wish I could recall exactly where and in which gospel that story happens. Um, the key here is to see, because this story is in Matthew and in, in John, okay. because Judas gets incensed in John's gospel by what this woman comes, comes and does. Okay? Right. Well, and then we see in verse 10, it we're told that then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. He has now made his decision. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So in this account of Judas, there's nothing about Satan or anything like that. Judas makes a decision. He is going to play he is going to betray Jesus. Now this betrayal is going to be by means of taking them to Jesus. I mean yes. that that that's what the betrayal will be, but but he has he has decided that he has enough. You know, um many of us remember Jesus Christ superstar. And I remember I first heard it 
it was it was it began as just an album just 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 a recording of the music with the lead singer from deep purple actually and back in the 60s and a lot of people at the time church people didn't really get it they didn't really they thought it was a musical about jesus and they didn't like some of what they heard in Jesus Christ Superstar. But it's not about Jesus. The focus in it is on Judas. Judas begins Jesus Christ Superstar. Judas ends Jesus Christ Superstar. He is the tragic figure who betrays Jesus and then comes to understand the weight of what he has done right and here he's just angry um he why is he going to betray jesus i am I'm, I'm willing to say he does it because he thinks this whole this whole thing with jesus has gotten way off track how could you take a year's worth of expensive stuff and just think of all the poor people it could have could have it could have um, they could have helped which is what the crowd or the people in the room say up in verses 4 and 5. And in John's Gospel, it's Judas himself who says that. That's the, you know, so anyway. Oh, you got a couple things there. Okay, so Linda Waddle, maybe by anointing his head, she's completing the anointment. You mean like, you mean like the anointment as Messiah? In which case, I, 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 I mean, Let's let's say that's an overtone. He's being anointed for burial because when when people died, you know that you probably know how what they did for the Jews. The body would be placed into a tomb, um, wrapped up in cloth, and then various good-smelling stuff would be placed around them to deal with the smell of the decomposing flesh because the body would lay there in this tomb, in this cave, until the flesh had all rotted off or dried up off the bones, and then the family would come back in and collect the bones and put them in a bone box and put them in the little bone box warehouse they had. So, so Jesus will, when he is buried, when they take him to the tomb after he dies on the cross, he will be anointed. He'll he'll, he'll have the, uh, the anointing of a king there. Burial anointing. This is all about what's coming. That compared every... It, and it's only three days after Palm Sunday when Jesus arrives and triumphs, triumphs, triumphs. The people are shouting and screaming and waving palms. And here he is on Wednesday night being anointed for his burial and I just I'll I'd, I'd bet everything I have that that people in the room they don't get it when he says she's anointed me for burial they would just be flummoxed unsure at all wow I can see this has really attracted some comments people are diving into the Bible to find that other yes, okay Josie yeah I'll see Luke 744 See, 
it's it's not it's it's not a burial story. It's not the same one. It's earlier in the Gospel of Luke. So there, there's what happens with 744. I think is that some Josie is that sometimes Mary Magdalene is seen as this woman, and that's not right either. But um, yeah, and John has the same story, and it's Judas who takes umbrage at it. Party. Kathy Henson, John, does this not mean? speak to Jesus not only giving love but accepting love? Indeed it does. You know, God God loves us and what does God want from us? Our love. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So sure, love, love is necessarily about a relationship. And true relationships are not one way. They're, they're not one way. I love Patty. I want to be loved by Patty. It's a sad thing when you deeply love someone who who, who doesn't return it. What do we call that? Unrequited love. Yeah. Right? Quite a few novels have been written about unrequited love. Anointment for his burial. Now, I, I, I don't... Linda Waldo. Anointment for his burial. First the feet and then the head. I think the events are too far separated. I, I just think the Luke 7 is about devotion. This is about burial. Okay. And then Lynn put there, you know, back then in John is when Mary, um, Mary and Martha, when she did it, when she, uh, I guess, Okay. It was washing Jesus' feet. and He was anointed a number of times, though, anyway, wasn't he? Well, With oil. The, these measures of devotion, yes. right? So the key thing is, is to see that this is about burial. And it's shocking because nobody really thinks he's headed for burial because the Messiah was to come and like it's it's like what are they all expecting him to do well at some point to open his tunic and you find a gigantic s for superman or something underneath there he is god's messiah who's now everybody can see it he's going to kick out the romans and cleanse the temple and all the rest of it and that moment never comes he dies on friday 48 hours hence and they really don't have much of a clue about it. And on Friday, the disciples, with the exception, the, the 12, then the 11 with Judas out, except for the young John, they're scattered and they're gone and they're in hiding. It's We'll see as we go forward. So isn't it great, though, that we can look at this one little story and you see these other things? That's, that's great. Thank you, everybody. It would be easier if each <laughs> each gospel told everything in chronological order, you know, but when they don't and each person's trying to tell a different side of the story that they want to be heard, um, it, it does make it a little bit confusing in some places. Well, because we are so focused on making these things something that we would write in the year 2023. And it would be all neatly laid out, and we would work out all the problems, and it would be nicely chronological. 
Um, they would be kind of like biographies telling the story. And, and so people do try to do that. I saw somebody is selling a blended harmony of the Gospels. I think it's the chosen people. People who make the, they want a blended harmony of the Gospels. In which they take all the little bits and pieces, they try to work out the difficulties, and they come up with this blended story. The problem with that is that God did not give us that book. God could have. Instead, God gave us four portraits, four proclamations of the good news. The basics are all the same, and they do vary in some of the details. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the Last Supper happens on Thursday night. In John, it's pretty clear it happens on Wednesday night. Well, that throws everybody all out of whack until <laughs> recently, I guess, N.T. Wright sort of resurrected an old, an old idea. He said, look, it's not about the day. It's a Passover meal. That's what you need to focus on. Regardless of how they tell the story, it's a Passover meal. In John's Gospel, let's see, we're, we're doing Mark. Um, a, few, a couple of chapters ago, Jesus turned the tables over, right? He comes in, Palm Sunday, then on Monday he turns the tables over and pronounces judgment on the temple. In John's Gospel, when does that happen? Chapter 2 in John's Gospel. So did Jesus do it twice? Nah. He didn't do it twice. John is just setting up early in his telling of the story of Jesus, the confrontation between Jesus and the priests. So you know right from the beginning. You see right from the beginning very clearly this darkness hanging over the story. So it's kind of a kind of an unfortunate thing if we get too focused on blending the Gospels. And so that's, I, 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 try to, I, I, I try to teach each one on its own. On its own. And we can look for connections and other things, but most of the time the connections you should look for when you're working in like Mark is in the Old Testament. Like we did, oh, Deuteronomy 15. That's, that's the place where Jesus is talking that's where he gets to what he says about the poor oh okay anyway that's enough so Judas Iscariot verse 10 Judas has now made his decision would he be free to do something else to to stay true to Jesus nothing here would contradict that is what he does does it work for for God's purposes, to what, yes, in that Jesus is going to remain faithful all the way to the cross, and Judas is going to betray him and and help to bring this <coughs> sacrifice by Jesus to fruition on the Friday of Holy Week. So there's there's some I guess there's some tension there. I don't know. Perhaps. All right. Anything else anybody want to add to this? No, but 
I love it that people put Yeah, stuff look down. at all that stuff. That's because you asked the money. I did. I asked yes. them. <laughs> but now, so now that was Wednesday. You see, Wednesday is, Wednesday is the anointing. And let me show you this. Uh, this We are not checking out all these references. I just wanted you to see... <clears throat> The number of times in chapters 14 and 15 of Mark where it seems that Mark is has an echo or an allusion to an Old Testament psalm, to one of the psalms about a righteous about the righteous man who suffers, the righteous sufferer. And it's all of these. And notice, look on the right column. Notice how many of them are from Psalm 22. Yeah. And in Psalm 22, how does it begin? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. 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 So when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are words that he just invents on the spot. He knows. He's calling up all of Psalm 22 when he utters those words on the cross. So I just thought that was kind of cool. I'm glad somebody other than me put the work some scholar did to putting this together for us. Okay. So, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So this is now Thursday. Because they are going to share this meal, this Passover meal, on Thursday evening. Verse 13. So, he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So, okay, so it's kind of like Palm Sunday. It seems, I mean, I don't think there's like magic or anything involved here or anything supernatural, it seems that Jesus, knowing that he will take this confrontation to a head, this Passover, in the year 30 AD, let's say, probably, has made preparations, has made preparations, and set things up, and he does it for the, for, for the donkey, or, or, or colt, um, with a similar set of instructions to his disciples, and now regarding to where they're going to do the Last Supper, um, there are instructions here for his disciples. And then Jesus says to them, this man, the, 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 the owner of this house, will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. So Jesus has already scoped out the place and um, do we know where that place is we really don't um, there is a place in Jerusalem today that is called the upper room 
but that really only goes back to the Crusader days, when the Crusader days were a thousand years after Jesus. So it's not too reliable a thing to think that the upper room that's tagged that way today is actually the place where this happened. But Jesus has found the place. Um, he comes to Jerusalem, uh, presumably about three times a year, because he's a righteous Jew, and so he would have come for Passover, for Pentecost, for tabernacles in the fall. That's what Jewish men did who could make the trip. That's on that kind of trip is when Jesus, even when he's a boy, that's that's the home alone trip, the family coming down for one of these big festivals in Jerusalem. So, verse 16, the disciples left and they went into the city and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. They are going to get the room ready and everything for them to come together and share this very ritualistic meal. Okay? Um, when evening came, Jesus arrived with twelve and maybe more, right? Twelve, certainly, because the capital T, twelve. But, but, but maybe more people came. And they're going to sit for the meal. I should, I should have pro probably brought a picture of this. But anyway, just picture, just picture low tables in kind of a square, okay? with uh, open space in the middle or maybe a big U, right? And they're low because everybody would recline, would sit on a bench. They didn't use chairs. They would recline on a bench and lay on their side with their feet splayed out off the back, off to the side. So everybody's laying kind of like ch -ch 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 up, up the table. That's the way they did it. The, Greco the Greeks were doing it that way. The Romans were doing it. That's the way they... That's the way they did this. Um, and so sitting in chairs is not it. They were reclining. They were reclining at the table eating. And he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Can you imagine the silence that would fall over the room at that moment, at least for a moment. I, that, I imagine they aren't sure what they have just heard. Truly I tell you, verily, verily I say unto you, truly I tell you, this is the absolute truth. Now, one of you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. So it's almost like going around the room. Surely you don't mean me. No, surely you don't mean me. No. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. Eats with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. 
It would be better for him if he had not been born. Woe to that man. And of course, you and I know that man is Judas. Woe to that man. Um, because of the way John writes it's, his gospel, it seems a little as if, you know, um, Judas is a puppet of Satan or something, but Satan doesn't have the power to make us puppets. Satan tempts us. He's the accuser. He's the tempter. He doesn't have strings attached to our feet and legs and the rest. Judas is going to betray Jesus out of, it's a choice Judas is making. But it's a terrible choice. And he will come to see just how terrible a choice it is that he has made. And woe to him. And ever since, Judas Iscariot is one of the most, what would we call him, Patty? Infamous? Yes. People in human history. Yep. The betrayer of Jesus. Yes. The villain. The villain, <laughs> yeah. Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. And of course, Son of Man is how Jesus referred to himself. Daniel 7. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, take eat, this is my body. Take, eat, this is my body. Now you notice that to this point in this recounting of the meal, there's nothing said about the lamb. Right? They didn't shop for a lamb. No indication they cooked the lamb. There's not an indication there's a lamb on the table. Um, why is that? Because the lamb would typically be, you know, it would have to be skinned and then, you know, cooked and roasted and all that kind of junk. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb. The lamb is in the room, but it's Jesus. Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Following on the burial anointing from the evening before, now we are to this meal, and it's becoming plain as day that Friday is going to be a climactic day. And it's going to end in a way that none of them ever really thought it could. Remember back earlier, maybe it's chapter 9 or something, and, and um, Jesus turned to Peter and said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. And then they go on a little further, and, and Jesus starts talking about having to go to Jerusalem and be 
die and something else three days later and everything and Peter's going oh no 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 um, because he just said Jesus is Messiah and Messiah is not going to end up on a cross or anything else like that and J Jesus says uh, get behind me Satan right because because he doesn't need Peter tempting him to take another path so Patty you do have a question from what you were just talking about with uh -huh. Judas uh -huh. from Lynn and her words are, so God did not interfere with Judas's actions, but did not orchestrate it, correct? What, what, happens, what happens if we, if we think of Judas as a puppet with strings on, and God just, is God moving Judas around here like, you know, I think it, how could anyone hold Judas responsible for that? You know, I was thinking about this today while I was working on this. Um, if if somebody poured, let's say somebody poured a drug in Judas's cup, and he became like this unthinking zombie who's going to rise from the table and he's going to go away, and the drug is going to cause him to uh, go and betray Jesus to the priest, would we hold Judas responsible for that? No. I don't think we would. So somehow there is tension in here between, between God's purposes and how those are worked out and Judas's own free choices. But if you take away Judas's own free choices, how can he be responsible for what he does? I mean, even in our court system today, we, we, we have people that go through the court system and are not held responsible for what they did. They might do some terrible, terrible thing, but they're not held responsible because the court and the jury say no. They weren't. They didn't know the difference between right and wrong. They're 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 not capable of that. So, you know, yeah. I I I don't see how you could really make the case that Judas is just this puppet, and God's just pulling the strings. Even though there are verses in John that get close to saying that, I'll grant you that. So, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn together, isn't that great? When they had sung a hymn, sung a hymn together in the room, after Jesus breaks the bread, they, they share this cup of the covenant or the new covenant. Um, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus leads them there, okay? Some of them. You will all fall away, verse 27, Jesus told them, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is going to be struck, and sure enough, the sheep are going to be scattered. Verse 28, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter then declares, presumably they're now, you know, kind of all walking together. He says, Even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus says to Peter, Truly I tell you today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. 
three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. You know, if Richard Baucom and others are right that this is basically, Mark's gospel is basically built on Peter's eyewitness testimony, this is preserved in Peter's eyewitness testimony. Because you know what's coming. Jesus is right. Peter is going to betray it. Peter is going to disown him. And yet Peter would, would tell this story of, of how much he failed, how much he failed Jesus at, at the final moment. So, now they continue to make their way toward the Mount of Olives and thus toward Gethsemane because Gethsemane, the garden there, which is, it's, just an, it's just an olive press and olive trees there, is on the way down the valley, Kidron Valley, between the city and the Mount of Olives. So, if you... Look at this. I should have marked it with an arrow. Maybe I did. Did I mark something? Yeah. There we go. Red circle. Very good. On the eastern side of the temple, there's a valley that runs. Not, this is no big valley. You've seen it, Patty, right? Oh, of course. Yes. It's not a big valley. But it's it's almost like a wash or something. But it, it, it is a valley. And down at the bottom of that is the Garden of Gethsemane. And from the Garden of Gethsemane, if you walk the back side of the Garden of Gethsemane, you begin to climb up the Mount of Olives. And once you get to the Mount of Olives, top of the Mount of Olives, then you would begin to climb down, and you, the next thing you would basically run into is the vast Judean wilderness. Yes. So I brought a few pictures, just for grins, of the Garden of Gethsemane today. Now these olive trees that are in the Garden of Gethsemane today, they're really old and they're very gnarly. But they aren't old enough to have been there in Jesus' day. But they give you a sense of mature olive trees um, in a place where olives would be collected and then pressed to make olive oil. Um, here's another shot of part of the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, here are some of the, I don't know why I really have that shot in, but there are people there, and that's what it is today. A little bit more. This is the Church of All Nations, which is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it is there to remember Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a stone. Well, there's the inside of the church. And there's a stone there. A couple of them, actually. Um, but one gigantic one. Right. Right. Um, what is that? What did I do here? Oh, I see what I did. So, never mind. So, somewhere on the photo underneath, there's the stone. But here is the Kidron Valley. So, to the left, to your left hand. That is the slope leading up to the wall, and then the valley with the trees in it. And on the right side, if you look across, you see the three arches in that building. That's the Church of All Nations. 
and where the trees and stuff are and the green right around it, that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. So Jesus comes out the eastern wall and they make their way down to that garden. Okay? And it's, it's a privilege to have gone there. So um, I think before I don't want to start the Gethsemane story at 410, so I think we're going to end right there today, and we will um, pick up there in two weeks, okay? That's right. Because next week's Labor Day. That's right. And Patty will come around. And we'll be into September. And the temperatures will start plummeting. Well, they won't plummet, but <laughs> maybe. Hopefully they'll go yeah, down they're going to be a little lower for a few days, and then they're going back up again. Yep. Man. Oops. I'm sorry, honey. I don't do this. You got to spin well. it. <laughs> Look at that now. I'll lean over your way. Okay. Okay. All right. Good class. Thanks, honey. Yeah. Appreciate everybody's help. Yes. Maybe really. I'll bring a little bit more on the women we've been talking about with the jars and the, all that stuff. We get back together. It was a topic of interest. It was. Please close with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this day. Lord, thank you for waking us all up today. We thank you, God, for the slightly cooler temperatures that we have today. We pray, God, that we would feel your presence every day. And we feel God, we pray, God, that we would feel your presence right now. Lord, we pray that you would keep us healthy and safe as we move forward and bring us back all together next, oh, in two weeks, in two weeks, dear Lord. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. See you this weekend, Labor Day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. What do you want to do? Sleigh ride or ice skate? <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to do? Well, well because it's only 95 yeah. today? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's get Bye, them ready. Everybody. Bye, everybody. Adios.